So I hope you're doing really well. Um, for those of you who missed last week with Dave Devonish, do try and get um, hold of the uh, recording online because um, it was an outstanding week for us uh, as a church. And uh, as you all know, many of you are regulars here. We're partway through our series called Simplify, where essentially what we want to do is we're wanting to look at doing the fundamentals in life really well, to do, to do the basic things really well in such a way that we've got the simple things down in order that God might bless us and use us as much as he can. And uh, up until uh, Friday evening, I had a different talk uh, to the one that I'm going to look at today because I felt God just changed things uh, a little bit in my heart. And uh, so this morning, I felt very much we should look at the whole subject of making decisions. Um, it wasn't what I intended, but I feel like God would have us uh, do that this morning. So the, the whole area of uh, making choices and decisions, and it may well be that um, uh, you're at something of a crossroads in your life, uh, perhaps making decisions over housing uh, or jobs or education, or particularly in a, a time of life where you really wanted to hear God's voice. You know, it's what's next, uh, God. So I think this morning is very much for you. Obviously, it's going to be relevant at some point in our lives for each one of us, but it may well be that this morning is particularly for you. So just help me out here this morning. Maybe just by a show of hands, can you say, raise a hand in the air. If you're at something of a crossroads, you're making some choices, some decisions, or you're particularly wanting to hear God's voice for your life at the moment. If you want to raise a hand high in the air, some of you can't decide whether or not to raise a hand in the air. That probably... <laughs> That's indecision, and you need to raise your hand. Um, so I'll tell you what, whilst those people just got their hands high in the air, could you, if you're near them, just lay a hand on their shoulder or stretch out a hand towards them, and let's just pray. Obviously, pray that God will speak to you too, but I particularly feel it's going to be relevant to these folks. So, Holy Spirit, we pray, come and, come and rest on each person here. Thank you, Father, that you interrupt our agendas in order that you might have your way. And Father, I pray for each person here who's particularly looking to hear your voice, uh, seeking guidance. Father, would you come and bring the reassurance of your presence and the clarity of your voice here this morning? Thank you, Father, that you say your sheep will hear your voice. And we pray for each person present here this morning. They might hear your voice for them today, Lord Jesus. I pray we go from here uh, full of confidence and courage because you've spoken to us. Ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Great. Okay, good stuff. Well, we're going to launch off from um, Acts chapter 16. So if you've got a Bible with you, uh, maybe you want to turn there. It's a relatively short uh, passage, and we're going to read it from the ESV. And uh, what it does is it's it's one of uh, the places in Scripture where we see people going through a decision-making process. And it's the Apostle Paul. Uh, He's We've just off the back of Acts chapter 15, where it's been the Council of Jerusalem, and they've been figuring out, the apostles have met together and thinking uh, what, what... talking about the gospel going to the Gentile nations. And Paul is now off on his way uh, to go and spread reports of what's happened in Jerusalem, the decisions they've made, but also check up on the churches and see how they're doing and that kind of thing. And so verse 4 goes like this. As they went through their way through the cities, they delivered to them, that's the different churches, for observance, the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, that's um, modern-day Turkey, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia. But the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So, passing by Mysia, they went to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia, that's Greece, was standing there urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision... Immediately, we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. 
So that's our passage for this morning. I guess in, in many senses, uh, life can seem like a sequence of thousands of thousands of little choices and decisions, each one of which has consequences for our lives. Sometimes big consequences, sometimes little consequences. Life is full of small little decisions that make up the pattern of our lives. I read this uh, former heavyweight boxer, a man called James Tillis, was a cowboy from Oklahoma uh, who fought out of Chicago in the early 1980s. Uh, He recounts that he still remembers his first day of moving to the big city with all his possessions. He says this, I got off the bus with my two suitcases under my arms in downtown Chicago, and I stopped in front of the Sears Tower, a major landmark. I put my suitcases down, I looked up at the tower, and I said to myself, I'm going to conquer Chicago. When I looked down, my suitcases had gone. You know, so life can feel like a mixture of little decisions that affect our lives adversely or positively. In 2011, a man called David Davis went into a barber shop in Connecticut in the States. A scuffle broke out, and he decided to get involved in a fight there. Uh, The police were called, and he was arrested halfway through his haircut. This was his mugshot that was taken at the police station. I don't know which was worse for him, being arrested or being arrested with half a haircut. I don't know which was most difficult for him. Little decisions that then build up to something bigger. Other times, we seem to get the decision right. Uh, In 2005, a man called David Cho was commissioned uh, by one of the hundreds of little startup companies in California at that time to do some artwork to brighten up their somewhat drab offices a little bit, to do some modern graffiti stuff on the walls, and he was asked to do this and decorate it for a fee of around two or $3,000. When he'd finished the work, the chief executive of the company was so pleased with it, what he'd done, that he went up to him and said, look, I'm going to give you a choice here. We can pay you the two or $3,000 that we owe you, or alternatively, we could give you the equal value in shares in our company, if you'd rather. David Cho thought for a moment and then decided, well, I'll tell you what, I'll go with the shares and um, let's see what happens. Obviously, loads of fledgling little dot-com companies around at that time. So many of them went bust, some of them succeeded. The name of the company he did did the graffiti for? Facebook. You may have heard of it. (laughs) So in 2012, when the shares were floated, his proportion of the shares was then worth 126 million pounds. I'm thinking he feels like that was a good decision. But life can feel like that, can't it? A mix of all these big decisions and little decisions. The trouble is, all of these choices, big and small, can seem really arbitrary in the moment, seem somewhat random, like you're kind of betting on a lottery, as it were. And there are consequences, the like of which we can't predict or anticipate. And for many of us, that leads to a place of uncertainty and anxiety, doesn't it? Because we don't know what is going to happen with the choices that we make. I spent a number of years working for a careers advice company. And um, when it comes to making choices over careers and education, there are generally two factors in play for any one of us. Uh, Number one is this, uh, opportunity awareness. So that's essentially knowing what's out there, knowing what's available to me, uh, what kind of jobs or education uh, can I access. And then secondly, there's self-awareness. Not just knowing what's out there, but knowing what do I like and what is suited to me. That's generally much harder. So, for instance, I can very easily talk to you about three routes into accountancy, but knowing whether or not you want to be an accountant is a much harder question to ask. For many of us, the answer is absolutely not. But, but knowing what you want is the hardest part. But, of course, for Christians, 
it's even more complicated still. Because for Christians, there's a third element in play. We're not just asking what's available and what do I want, but we're also asking, God, what is it you want too, aren't we? And that, for many of us, is what really complicates things and turns up the stress level significantly. Most of us here this morning want to be obedient. The difficulty is knowing what it is that God is saying. I remember um, years back now when I had a big decision choice to make over uh, education. I'd reached a point in my life where I needed to invest in training in one area or another. And I'd boiled it down to two options. Uh, The question was, do I train to become a teacher or do I train to become a careers advisor? I tell you, I agonized over that decision for months. I did lists of the pros and cons. Uh, I researched. I looked at the financial implications. I spoke to teachers and I went into schools and visited them to see what teaching was like. And I became increasingly desperate to try and hear God's voice in those circumstances. Of course, the the difficulty was that ideally what I could have done with was the careers advisor training to figure out whether or not I wanted to become a careers (laughs) advisor. There was was an irony there. Uh, And as the desperation increased, um, so did my antennae to how God might be speaking. So I would walk into church and I'd think, maybe in today's preach, God's going to say something that just unlocks it all. So the preacher mentions Jesus. Well, I think to myself, well, Jesus was sometimes referred to as a rabbi. Rabbi means teacher. Perhaps that's a sign, you know. It got to the point where I would be looking at cloud formations in the sky, trying to wake up, is that a C and an A? Could that be careers advice? I was desperate. I was analyzing every little dream about a penguin on a tightrope, saying, God, is this for me? You know, are you wanting to speak to me about this? I wonder if any of you could identify with that kind of increasing desperation as you're longing to hear God's voice. Psychologists tell us that unmade decisions are one of the greatest forms of stress. Until you've made a decision, you're you're living with that uncertainty for some period of time. And it reaches the point where we're looking for signs that may not even be there. And and part of our stress, if we're honest, comes from the different assumptions that we live with. Uh, We live with assumptions like this. Uh, Number one, God has a plan for my life. And we'd read, you know, Jeremiah, where... Jeremiah says, for I know the plans I have for you, to plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And we read verses like that, and we think to ourselves, well, what is the plan? We think, to ourselves, God has got a plan for me. Therefore, number two, I must figure out what that plan is. Uh, number three, I then need to stick to the plan, because there will be consequences if I don't stick to the plan. Does anybody else think like this? Of course, the big problem is, I don't have a clue what the plan is. How am I meant to stick to something when I don't know what it is? Unsurprisingly, then, many of us live with a high degree of stress over this. Even worse still, some of us think to ourselves, there's a plan for my life, but back there, two, three, five, ten years ago, I made a wrong turn. I deviated, I veered off of God's plan for my life, and that's why things are like this now. Or we think to ourselves, even worse, I've missed it altogether. I made that life choice, that career decision, I had that relationship. I lived in that place. I moved to that place. I didn't study that subject. And now I've blown it. I've missed it. God had a plan for my life. I didn't listen clearly enough. I didn't listen hard enough to what God had to say. And I messed it up. And so we live with the weight of that, feeling like we've got second best in terms of God's plan for our lives. Anybody identify with that? Is it just me and my neurosis? But I don't think so. Many of us live with these kinds of concerns and anxieties. And some of us, even now, are stuck on the horns of our dilemma, and we're thinking, how do we respond to this? 
And let's go back to the passage for a moment because let's just look for a minute at how Paul approaches the choices he makes in his life. The first thing we realize from Paul, apart from having a brilliant name, is that Paul lived with a, with a, with a general call over his life. We read in Acts 9 that he was called to the, to the Gentiles, which is this massive section of society at that time, the majority of society. So he lives with this general call. That's, that's the call on his life. Nothing more specific than that at this point. And then what he does, when he receives that general call, in the same way that you and I have got a call to go into all the world and make disciples and love the Lord our God with all our heart and soul, those general calls, he then makes decisions from a place of that general call that God places on his life. He doesn't wait for things to get more specific than that. He doesn't wait for increasing detail. He goes and lives out that call as best he can. He makes common sense decisions from a place of general call. In other words, I put it like this, he lives with a green light mentality in life. He, he keeps going, as, thinking that each one of his decisions must be a green light from God until he hits a red light. He makes other sensible decisions, like he pursues connection with others. He goes around all the churches, he's connected to other Christians, he doesn't withdraw. So he makes sensible, common sense decisions off the back of a general call, assuming that God's going to just say, go for it. It's only when he hits a red light that he then pauses. So it says that the Holy Spirit stopped them going into these different places. So he tries to go one way, and the Holy Spirit stops them. He tries to go another way, and then the Holy Spirit stops them. We don't know what, how that happened or what that was. It, um, he, he, you know, they try to go up into Asia, uh, but they can't go there. We don't know what was going on. Maybe it was a baggage handler dispute, or you know, the camel train had leaves on the line. I don't know. But there were different things. And then they tried to go to this next place, and you know, I, how that came about and how they made that decision to try to go to the next place, I don't know. Maybe Barnabas said, look, I know a great little tapas bar. Let's go there. I don't know. There were some decisions. They, they were making their own choices. And then the Holy Spirit stops them once again. It's at that point that they hear the Holy Spirit speaking through a vision. And Paul says, there's this man of Macedonia saying, come over here, and then they decide to go over there. Even there it says Paul concluded. In other words, Paul made decisions on the back of a vision. So they, they live with this green light mentality. I've got a general call, and so I'm going to fulfill that call as best I can, and then I'm only going to stop when God says stop. Do you, do you, know, you notice that, the way that God instructs us? It's usually by telling us things that we can't do, that we mustn't do that are for our harm, rather than telling us things that we have to do. Does that make sense? So if you think of Adam and Eve in the garden, the only instructions were, don't do this. Everything else was, was on limits. It wasn't off limits. They could do everything else. They were free to enjoy the garden and fulfill the call on their lives in the garden. There was only just this little area that they were not to do. I want to suggest to you maybe it's the same way in our lives, that, that God's plan for your life isn't some narrow path through a dark wood that you have to try and stick to, but rather it's a great open field with fences in the distance, yes, but it's a massive open area to explore. Does that make sense? And immediately that starts to take the stress off. Um, I think of it a bit like this. Some of you remember me sharing about when um, my kids were younger, taking them to the park, Uh, and we used to live near Bedford Park. If you're not from Bedford or you're new here, uh, Bedford Park is on the list of places to go and see, okay? I love Bedford. The list is fairly short, though. But that would, be, that would be one of them, okay? I do love Bedford, but this is one of the places to go. And for those of you who don't know it, it's set over several acres, um, 
with uh, cricket pitches and tennis courts and a pavilion and lakes and a massive play area uh, for the children. And it's set around this big oval path, a main track, if you like, with other narrower paths that lead onto it and off it. And so I would often uh, take my children there uh, to the park, and um, uh, they were at an age where they had different ability levels. So, you know, I had some that were sort of eight, nine years old, right down to Zachary, uh, my youngest. And um, he would be at the stage of life, some of you parents can identify this, where every little ladybird or cigarette butt was of immense interest to him, yeah? So to, so to go 100 yards took like an hour and a half, yeah? Any of you can relate to that? So that's the stage of life he was at. Meanwhile, I've got other children, uh, like my son Nathan, and essentially um, he has two speeds. He has flat out or asleep. That's really um, where, where he's at. And uh, so I would be trying to juggle this. And so Nathan would be on his, his little bike um, with the stabilizers, sort of pedaling for all his worth, and then Zachary would be here. So I was trying to span this distance. And what would happen is we'd, we'd come up to the, to the main uh, track, the main path, and uh, you reach it, and uh, obviously there, at that point, um, the children can go either right or left at that point. Now, different things would happen at, at different times. Uh, sometimes uh, the children would look back at me and say, which way, Dad? And I'd say, oh, we'll go to the left or go to the right. Other times they would just plow on regardless. Uh, sometimes they would look back to me and say, which way, Dad, left or right? And I'd say, go left. And then, bless them, they didn't really know the left and right too well, so they would go right, yeah? Um, th the point I want us to get, though, is that because I understood the layout of the whole park, it didn't actually matter which direction they went in. Because I had the ability, I had the knowledge to be able to bring them back around to where I wanted them to be anyway. They, they reached the point where they, they, they did their best. They were as obedient as they understood how. And then I, in my wisdom, was able to take them around to where, they, where I wanted them to be. I want to suggest to you that our God is totally sovereign. That he holds together the different atoms in your body then in a moment he's going to give you your next breath, just the right mixture of nitrogen and oxygen and argon and some trace gases. He's, he's made a, this cocktail that you need to breathe in and out to sustain your life. If he holds the very atoms of your body together, can he not also orchestrate the path of your life? And that every time we turn left or right, God can bring us round exactly to where he wants us to be. I want to say to you, if you're living here this morning feeling that you have missed it, I want to say to you, you haven't missed a thing. God can fulfill his purposes for your life, even at the last moment. We see that, don't we, with a thief on the cross. Even in the last hours of his life, God fulfills his purposes for him. You know, we see that in King David's life, don't we? You know, the man committed adultery and murder and still fulfilled God's purposes for his life. Not that I'm recommending you do that, but he did that, you know? He, he still fulfilled God's purposes for his life. We see that in the story of Lazarus. Lazarus was dead, and God still fulfilled the purposes for his life, you know? It is never too late for, for God to fulfill his purposes for your, his, for your life. You haven't missed a thing. Just take a moment to let that settle into your heart. You know, some of us here this morning think we've royally messed up, and maybe we have that we went wrong somewhere in our journey in life. And as I was preparing, I felt God speak to me particularly about two areas. 
Number one, there are some of us here this morning, I believe, who feel like our broken relationships or the divorce that we've been through excludes us from being used by God. And the second area I felt God speak to me about is I felt him say, uh, Paul, it's a season for digging up buried talents. And that there are some people here this morning who, if they're honest, feel like they've buried their talents and abilities over the years, possibly through fear. You've not made the most of your opportunities or your intelligence or your finances or you made poor choices. And God says it's time to once again dig up your buried talents. He wants to tell you this morning he's the God of second chances and third chances and fourth chances. Your enemy will tell you you've missed it, but God wants to say he takes every one of your wrong turns and uses them as part of his journey. He promises that he'll work every bad thing to your good in your life. He'll turn it around to your blessing. He's giving you a green light gospel this morning. Just going back to the story of my children for a moment. Um, as I mentioned, there's this big oval path, and some, some of the tracks lead on and off of that big oval path. Well, there were occasions when uh, Nathan uh, was speeding along on his little bike, and uh, he would inadvertently, for some reason, veer off of the main track down the, one of the narrower paths. And as some of you know, those narrower paths lead towards um, a main road. And I would be stood with uh, Zachary as he was you know, inspecting a, a crisp packet or something, uh, and I'd be watching Nathan veer off in the wrong direction. Instead of carrying on around towards the play area, he'd go off towards the main road. And so, of course, what I'd do in that moment is I'd say, Nathan, come back here. And sometimes he would hear, and um, then, as many of you parents will know, uh, sometimes he wouldn't because our children have selective hearing. Uh, you know, if you mention the word sweets or chocolate, they can hear it from a distance of about half a mile, but the words tidy your room, they're almost entirely deaf to. So he, he would be veering off, and he'd be on his own little thing. And so if, if I called out to him and he didn't come back, I would then say, Nathan. And if there was still nothing, I would say, Nathan. And I would shout. I would l shout at the top of my voice. Why do I tell you that? I tell you that because if a good father sees his children going off course, he doesn't whisper, he shouts. If you're headed into disobedience, the Lord will shout at you. He doesn't whisper from the heavens. And then I can remember at least one occasion when despite my best holler, Nathan just carried on blindly towards the main road. Well, what did I do in that moment? You know, did I kind of shrug and think to myself, well, I've got three other children. Um, no, no, I didn't. I didn't. Emma would have been upset with me over that. No, I didn't. Here's what I did. I left Zachary with one of the other children, and I chased after Nathan. I remember this one time, I, I caught up with him, and he would, he would have been 50 meters from the road or something like that. I caught up with him, and I, I managed to catch up with him on his little bike, I picked him up, and as I lifted him in the air, his legs were still pedaling, you know, <laughs> spinning, and I just turned him round, 180, plonked him down, and boom, he was off again. <laughs> what do good fathers do when they see their children headed towards danger? They go and get them. Psalm 23, possibly one of the most famous psalms in the Bible, says this, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. God is a good father. He follows you all the days of your life. In fact, the, the Hebrew word there for follow, I looked it up, is the word rawdaf. 
follows kind of a little bit inadequate. It actually means to chase after or to hotly pursue. In other words, God is saying, when you are going off track, I chase after you. I pursue you. What, because he's angry and wants to tell us off? No, he pursues us. And in one hand, he has goodness. And in the other hand, he has mercy. And guess what? God can run faster than you can. He will chase you down for your good and for your blessing. Because at the end of the day, my children going to the park, um, their confidence wasn't in their ability to find their way there, where they needed to go. Their confidence wasn't in their ability to make right choices, but in my ability to rescue them. Jesus is your saviour, not just for eternity, but for this life. He will rescue you even from your bad choices. And he wants to say to you this morning that your, your life isn't some narrow path where you've got to just try and figure it all out, but rather it's a broad vista for you to explore and to enjoy. And so now when I make decisions, I don't get stressed like I used to over the careers advisor and teacher thing. Now I ask myself simple questions. A good one I ask myself is from 1 Corinthians 10, where Paul writes this, whatever you do, do it for, for the glory of God. So I ask myself the question, this decision I'm about to make, can I glorify God through this decision? Taken back to my big life choice there of teacher or careers advisor, is it possible to honor, glorify God through being a teacher? Yes. Is it possible to glorify God through being a careers advisor? Yes. So in that sense, it doesn't matter which one I choose. God will bless me either way. Now, of course, if the question had been, is it possible to honor God through being a teacher? Is it possible to honor God through being a drug dealer? The, you know, the answers would have been somewhat different. And that helps guide me over some of the choices I make. It simplifies life for me, which is what this series is, after all, all about. That means when we face the most important decisions, we're, we're not actually approaching it from a place of anxiety, but from a place of faith. And it, it boils down to then where my heart is at and what the choices that I'm making as a result of that. You know, the most important decisions are not actually necessarily around career, but issues of the heart, like, will I forgive my brother when he offends me? Will I trust my heavenly father in my giving and tithe like he's calling me to do? Will I trust God enough to lower the mask and allow other people into my life? Will I say sorry when somebody hurts me. You know, the most important choices in our lives are not actually around careers or where we live. They're actually around whether or not we choose to sin. And when you look at the New Testament as a whole, the vast majority of the instructions in the New Testament are not about what is your calling, but rather who you're called to be. It's about who I am, not what I do. The visions of the man in Macedonia are very rare in the New Testament. They're very much the exception rather than the norm. Instead, what the New Testament talks about is God wanting a whole bunch of people who realize that they are loved as sons and daughters, who have a sense of dignity and value and authority. Like he says to the Colossians, that you're holy and dearly loved. And then act out of that place, make decisions from that place. Once we've really grasped who we are, then he can put us anywhere in the world and will change the world around us. It's not a lonely, narrow path. It's a walk with him. Do you see what this means? It means that we can make sensible, godly decisions. We can try new things. We can set up charities. We can write songs. We can start up 
companies, we can feed refugees, we can disciple younger Christians, we can run kids' clubs, we can bless other nations, we can apply for promotions, and we can be all that we can be in God, knowing that he will guide us along the way. Knowing that it's okay to try some things and then get them completely wrong. Confident that God's ability to fix things is much greater than my ability to mess them up. It means that you no longer have to be afraid of missing it. He'll turn your wrong turns into triumphs. He'll pick you up like I did with Nathan when you're headed in the wrong direction and put you back on the right path. So we're called simply to love God with everything we've got and make disciples everywhere we go. It's an everything and everywhere call. We have a green light gospel. I'm saying to you this morning, let's run with it for all we're worth and see where he will take us.